0: Welcome to a special review recap episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Tamanini. On today's episode, we are breaking down all of the reviews for the original Broadway production of Susie Miller's new play, Prima Facie. The show won an absolute slew of awards, first in Australia, and then most recently the 2023 Olivier Awards. And based off of these reviews, I would not be surprised if the same thing happened at this June's Tony's. But if you are new to these episodes, if you are listening to this in Patreon, it is a standalone episode, but if you're hearing this in the regular feed, I wanna welcome you to Today on Broadway for Monday, April 24th. As I said, this one-woman play was written by Susie Miller and directed by Justin Martin. The US resident director is Devon D Mayo, and the show stars Emmy Award-winning TV and movie star Jodie Comer in what is her first professional stage acting gig. In the show, Tessa is a thoroughbred, a young, brilliant barrister, that's British for lawyer, she has worked her way up from working class origins to be at the top of her game, defending, cross-examining, and winning. But an unexpected event forces her to confront the lines where the patriarchal power of the law, burden of proof, and morals diverge. In the show, Tessa makes a career fiercely cross-examining women who are accusing powerful men of sexual improprieties, and it is not until Tessa herself faces the same situation that she begins to question her own life's work, morals, and integrity. As we look at what the critics had to say the review aggregator site did they like, it has collected 14 reviews as of recording time, 13 were positive, and one was mixed. Let's start with the New York Times' Jesse Green, who was the one mixed review. He said, quote, Over the course of the one-woman 100-minute play, we watch a barrister remove every piece of psychological armor from the women she cross-examines in sexual assault cases, then see the same armor stripped from her when she becomes a victim herself. The play by Susie Miller won all sorts of awards in Australia and Britain. It's easy to see why. Its star, Jodie Comer, late of killing Eve, gives a performance of tremendous skill and improbable stamina, especially considering it is her first stage appearance. The production, directed by Justin Martin, is chic and accessible, with design flourishes by now de Gur to underline the idea that it is a big event. And the reform of sexual assault jurisprudence that the play advocates could hardly be more convincingly argued or worthy of our attention. But the underlining and the advocacy do something odd to the drama. They make it disappear. Not at first. When we meet Tessa Ensler, she's a complex and theatrical character, a, quote, thoroughbred, primed for the race, with, quote, every muscle pumped. She's also, in Comer's interpretation, funny, sexy, and deflating, bloviating in bars and flirting with associates. She is not beneath the arrogance of pedigree. Quote, top law school, top city, top marks, top people. When she bellows drunkenly that, quote, innocent until proven guilty is the bedrock of civilized society, you see that she also uses it as a free pass for her own dodgy behavior. At one point, she throws a piece of trash into the audience. Then he goes on to describe some of the different versions that we see of Tessa throughout time and throughout the course of the play. And after one especially uh, compelling moment, he says, quote, yeah, this is also where the play abandons itself not its argument, of course, as Tessa suffers the same kind of cross-examination she has visited on other women in the name of, quote, testing the case impartially, it becomes painfully clear that finding truth, let alone justice, in such situations is all but impossible. More than that, the system of adjudicating consent is diabolical, a man-made trap to disable women from proving anything, and thus, in effect, a second rape. If only the play allowed us to simply feel this. But as Tessa speaks to the courtroom, despite being warned by the judge to stop, Miller, the playwright herself, a former criminal defense lawyer, likewise breaks free from the dramatic frame to let her. The lights come up on the audience. The text, now delivered straight out, becomes an oration, a summation. For reasons that seem more wishful and political than characterological, Tessa gets her voice back. Interesting that Green doesn't necessarily have any complaints about the message of the show, the performance of the show, but more about how heavy-handed the show is, does bother me a little bit, and I've talked about this before, how I think it's important for critics and fans themselves to approach a piece of work based off what it actually is, not instead about what you wish it was. Now this is a little different, perhaps the heavy-handedness weighed too heavy on Jesse Green than it does some of the other critics, considering everybody else was positive, but to each their own, your mileage will vary. Moving on to some of the other reviews, Brittany Samuels from Broadway News said, quote, Prima Facie is the kind of theater every artist should have an opportunity to make and every audience an opportunity to experience. Lester Fabian Brothwaite from Entertainment Weekly said, quote, Jodie Comer is just plain fucking remarkable. For an hour and 40 minutes, she's absolutely transfixing. At first, haughty and self-possessed as the young lawyer with a brilliant future, and then defeated but defiant as a victim, determined to retain her faith in the system to which she had dedicated her life. Adam Feldman of Time Out New York gave the show 4 out of 5 stars, saying, quote, Her virtuosity is not just a game. It's emotional. Miller builds a respectable case, but Comer argues it brilliantly. Juan A Ramirez for Theaterly said quote "Prima Facie is a masterclass in sophistication, thoughtfulness and brevity, the platonic ideal of a night at the theater." Jackson McHenry of Vulture said quote "Comer's performance moves at the relentless pace of someone trying to outspeed her own pain, and she's up there keeping pace with a character whose mind moves at Mach 10." It's an incredible breakneck feat in which Comer achieves escape velocity from the script of Susie Miller's Unsteady Play and exerts a thrilling and devastating gravitational force of her own. We'll wrap up with Greg Evans of Deadline who said, quote, directed with energy and empathy by Justin Martin, Comer is rarely still. And when she is, there's purpose behind it moving office desks and a chair into any number of configurations and uses. When the play enters its latter half and Tessa's long coming court date arrives, Prima Facia rarely lets us raise our hopes or even really challenges our expectations. Most of us have been prepared by too many Law and Order SVUs. The drama is in how Tessa deals with the crumbling of her ideals and the smashing of her self-delusions, and in how Comer can so vividly, indelibly display both. I will say, despite the almost uniformly positive reviews looking at you, Jesse Green, it is pretty disappointing that there are 14 reviews that Did They Like It has collected so far, and only one is by a woman. I I know we talk about this a lot, and there's been times when I have thought that this has gotten better. We've seen a number of different publications send women to a variety of shows, not just ones that are by women and about women and performed by women. We've seen Ayanna Prescott and Badatry D. Chaudhry and Theater Mania has a number of women that do reviews for them, but a show that is so much about a uniquely female experience, to have 13 men at the 14 publications that are covered in this review aggregator be the ones to do the reviews, just feels insulting at this point and I know that some of these places don't employ more than one critic, and I understand that everybody's busy at this time of year, but there really is no legitimate excuse for this, especially when the New York Times has multiple women who do reviews, whether that's Maya Phillips, Alexis Siloski, Elizabeth Vincentelli, any of those women would have been great for this. And I know this is gonna be a contender for best play, so you want your chief theater critic to do it, but it's, it's, it's insulting and a missed opportunity, and, while not necessarily, it doesn't sound like the exact point of this show, um, it certainly feels like something that is in conversation with some of the messages that these reviews are highlighting. If you would like to read more of these and other reviews, we of course will have the Did They Like It? recap of all of the reviews, as well as the Broadway World Review Roundup in the show notes. So if you're hearing this in Patreon, have a wonderful rest of your Sunday night, or Monday, depending on when you're listening to this, or if you are hearing this in the regular feed, I will now send you over to the rest of today on Broadway. Welcome to today on Broadway for Monday, April twenty fourth, two thousand twenty three. On Broadway Radio is Matt Tamanini.
1: and I'm Tell Me on a Sunday podcast, Grace Aki.
0: Grace, we had a, a lot of stuff happen in the podcast feed over the weekend. First on Saturday, your interview with James Jackson Jr. published. Uh, you talked to him having. Not only seen him in a strange loop on Broadway, but you saw him in White Girl in Danger off Broadway, and he's got a concert coming up. Uh, so that was a really fun interview. Any p- particular insights or things you want to share from that to make sure that people go back and listen to that in the podcast feeds? James
1: is just such a joy. That if you if he's not like a household name for you yet, like why not? Because he's such a sweetheart. We talk about like the creative process and how you know he's been doing cabarets for like twelve plus years. He's been doing these solo concerts, and now he's exploring just doing all musical theater like before you know he talks about you know his his pop inspirations and all that good stuff but then also like He's going to be doing some Sondheim on May first at seven o'clock at Chelsea Table and Stage, mm. so you can also stream it. So I, I please go back and listen to it. It's it's really fantastic, and I loved talking to him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then um, also over the weekend, I spoke with Delon Grant, who you might not know his name, but if you watched Come From Away on Apple TV Plus, you saw him. He played Bob and others uh, in that in that live capture. He is actually down here in Orlando currently playing Nick Bottom in Something Rotten. So I got a chance to see a preview of that earlier this week, and I talked to him. Uh, Such a a great show, and it was so much fun to talk to him about his background, both doing musical theater and Shakespeare, but also how... Nourishing for the sh- for the soul, come from away was, and especially that live capture. Um, so check that one out. And of course, we had this week in on Broadway in the podcast feed over the weekend as well, talking about all of the most recent openings and things that you want to hear about. So if you want to hear any of those episodes before anybody else, head over to patreon.com/slash broadway radio or broadwayradio.com/slash patreon. Speaking of openings, this is uh, originally coming out on Sunday, so. On Sunday night, the next Broadway opening will be happening. Grace, I I, I think this is going to be one that you're really excited about. Uh, This is Prima Facie opening on Broadway. So if you are listening to this episode in Patreon, later on tonight there will be a standalone episode with all of the reviews for that one. If you're listening to this in the regular feed, you've already heard those reviews. So congratulations on time traveling. All right, we do have to start the show, unfortunately, with a little bit of sad news, as it was reported over the weekend that Barry Humphreys had passed away at the age of 89. If you don't know the name Barry Humphreys, there's a pretty good chance that you know the name of at least one of the characters that he created, most notably Dame Edna Barry Humphreys was an Australian comedian who played multiple iconic characters throughout his uh, throughout his career most notably Dame Edna Everidge and Sir Les Patterson. He had been on Broadway multiple times and what's interesting is I don't think I realized this. Not only did he do 3 shows on Broadway starting in 2000 and one in 2004 and then one in 2010 as Dame Edna, but he actually made his Broadway debut back in 1963 in the original Broadway production of Oliver in which he understudied Fagan and played Mr. Sourberry. So this is somebody who he might not have been as prevalent in pop culture in recent years. But when I grew up, like, Dame Edna was everywhere. You saw her on talk shows, on TV shows all the time. Like I said, a a kind of stage veteran around the world. Not only did Barry Humphreys do those three shows as Dame Edna on Broadway, he also won a Drama Desk Award and a Theater World Award for 2000's Dame Edna, the Royal Tour. He was surrounded by his family when he passed away in Sydney, Australia on Saturday uh, the statement from the family said quote with over 70 years on stage he was an entertainer to his core touring up until the last year of his life and planning more shows that will sadly never be his audiences were precious to him and he never took them for granted although he may be best remembered for his work in the theater he was a painter author poet and a collector and lover of art of all forms he was also a loving and devoted husband father grandfather and a friend and confidant To many. His passing leaves a void in so many lives. So, if you are not familiar with Barry Humphreys' work, whether as Dame Edna or Sir Les Patterson or anything else that he did, uh, I recommend you uh, check that out. Um, Our thoughts and prayers are with everybody who loved Dame Edna, Sir Les Patterson, and Barry Humphreys, either professionally or personally. All right, Grace, let's get into what uh, this week is going to be the biggest story, and that is. All of the craziness that is happening in terms of openings, uh, and it's going to be a good one. There's a there's a lot of stuff happening, not only with openings for this season, but we also have shows <laughs> beginning previews for next season because everything is upside down and it is crazy. But we're going to start actually. Tonight, on Monday, with the opening night for Goodnight Oscar on Broadway. This is a new play by Pulitzer Prize winner Doug Wright, directed by Lisa Patterson, and it has a phenomenal cast in which Sean Hayes plays the Oscar and the tighter Oscar Levant, Emily Bergle, uh, Marshant Davis, Peter Gross, Ben Rappaport, Alex Wise, and John Drozetsky. I hope I pronounced that name right. Grace, remember, I always forget, you did not see this in Chicago, correct?
1: I didn't see this in Chicago, um, but I did kind of get to see it wink, wink, not non. Um, and then, of course, on Broadway. So, um, yeah, I've gotten to see. and it and oh, I did. don't okay. believe there's been any change between Broadway and uh, Chicago. so if you're if you're familiar with it at the Goodman um in terms of like what the what the play reads as, um, it'll still be the same uh, on okay. Broadway from my understanding.
0: Okay, I didn't realize you'd seen it on Broadway already. Okay, great. Of course, everything is embargoed, so we can't talk about that yet. But this one will officially open on Monday night, tonight at the Belasco Theater. Very excited about that. Anytime you can get Sean Hayes back on Broadway, that is a good thing. Then the openings continue on Tuesday night as we head over to the Samuel J. Friedman Theater and the Manhattan Theater Club's production of David Auburn's Summer 1976, directed by Daniel Sullivan. It has a... A great cast. It's just a two-hander with Jessica Hecht and Laura Lenny. And I mean, if that's not enough to get you in a theater to see a show with Jessica Hecht and Laura Lenny, I don't know what is. So uh this one will be very exciting. It's already been extended, as we talked about earlier this week, for two extra weeks. It's now playing through June 10th at the Freedmen. And uh, excited to hear more about this. I don't know a ton about this one, Grace, but you have those two people with this writer and the director. That seems like it should be a very, very good show.
1: Um, I'm obsessed with Laura Linney. I'm obsessed with this director directing Laura Linney. Like, so I'm thrilled to see it. I won't get to see it, obviously, before opening, but um, I will be seeing it afterwards. And you know what? I just I like 1976. Sounds like a nice year. I don't know. <laughs>
0: Sure. Why not? Uh, bicentennial and everything. But so also happening on Tuesday, this is where things start to get a little complicated because we have the first Broadway previews for the sign in Sidney Brewstein's window. Now, this one is still in this season, even though its first preview is two days before the Tony eligibility deadline. So we are coming back to this one. So put a pin in, in Sidney Brewstein. We'll come back to them uh, in just a second. Then on Wednesday night, we have the next opening, and this is happening over at the St. James Theater, and this, of course, is New York, New York, which is this kind of amalgamation of the iconic film of the same name. It features the songs by John Kander and Fred Ebb that appeared in that film, also has Additional lyrics written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. The book was written by David Thompson, but co-written by Sharon Washington. I don't know what that means in terms of the distribution uh, of work and all of that stuff. I don't know if it was like a a, a rewrite or an additional material kind of thing, but it's a kind of an interesting way to to phrase that. It is directed and choreographed by the iconic and great Susan Stroman, uh, who I'm just so giddy to have her working back on Broadway again. Uh, A great cast, and Grace, I think you – we talked about this before. You sat in the front row for the first preview. Again, no no reviews or anything because you you were doing it for work. That was very early, but – as you and I have talked about multiple times, including just a few days ago, we're going to be going and seeing this show together when I'm in town. So if that tells you anything, that tells you anything. Um, in the cast are some great names of young up-and-coming talent, Colton Ryan, Anna Uzele, uh, Janet tocall, Ben Davis, of course, the iconic Emily Skinner, a, a lot of great other folks. You've seen it. Is there anybody else who stands out that I, since I haven't seen it, like I don't know who to, to oh, highlight God. in there?
1: I don't it's want to misspeak because I'm forgetting. Yeah, I'm forgetting. I'm not kidding when I say that the ensemble yeah, of characters is so strong that you will leave looking in your playbill going, who is that? Who is that? Who is that? Because there are so many features um, and standouts in the um, the more hearty ensemble that I've seen on Broadway. So you do have a principle like, like to... What Matt was just saying of, of, you know, these great names. And then there are also people that I had to like flip through my playbook and go, okay, well now I'm obsessed with this person. And, um, this person was fabulous. And, and, you know, so, um, I think that there's, it's a very hearty group of people that you're going to learn their names soon.
0: (laughs) Very, very excited about this one. Looking forward to it. Um, so that's on Wednesday. Then we go to Thursday, which is the Tony eligibility cutoff. That means that no show that opens after Thursday will be considered for the 22-23 season. So that means after having its first preview on Tuesday, the sign in Sidney Brewstein's window will officially open on Broadway at the James Earl Jones Theater. As we talked about before, this was only possible because of the really sad circumstances that canceled uh, Room that was supposed to be playing the, the James Earl Jones this season. This recently played the Brooklyn Academy of Music, and so it was able to make a very speedy transition to Broadway. It is only running for a very short amount of time. It is currently scheduled to close through July second. On July second, I don't know if there's any flexibility for that because there's some other things uh, going on, probably with Oscar Isaac and Rachel Brosnahan's you know schedules because they are huge stars. Um but I don't I off the top of my head I can't remember if there's anything going out uh, anything else going into that theater uh coming up in the fall. But nonetheless, very exciting that we are getting that moving in uh for this season. Especially with just two really really big stars of both stage and screen. Also in the cast are Gus Burney, Julian De Niro, Glenn Fitzgerald, Andy Gratallusion, uh Miriam Silverman and Raphael Nash Thompson. This play was written by the iconic playwright Lorraine Hansberry, most you know, notably uh, known for A Raisin in the Sun. It is being directed by Anne Kaufman. And it's also set in the 1960s. And this is one who, as you heard uh, Jan Simpson talk about when I hosted This Week on Broadway a couple of weeks ago, this is a show that was brought to Broadway while Lorraine Hansberry was sick and dying. And she was not able to ever actually... Um, edit it properly and finish it. So is it, it is kind of an unfinished work that her friends and family and colleagues and, and collaborators worked very hard to get on Broadway despite the fact that, you know, she was ostensibly dying. So it's a, it's an interesting piece, not only from what is on stage and what's on the page and these performances, of course, by these fantastic actors, but also as a piece of history to kind of say, Oh wow, there was a lot going on with this original production Before, uh, you know, before we even talk about what the actual content of the show is. So I'm very interested to hear about this one when it opens up on Thursday. And then last but not least, starting on Saturday, we will have a new show starting previews. This is one of those weird things we've talked about. There's a lot of stuff coming to Broadway in this off season, so to speak, most of them are musicals, but we do have a lot of plays, including Grey house, which is beginning previews on Saturday, April nine or April 29th at the Lyceum theater. Um, normally when we have shows that are, that are plays that open up in the summer, they are from not for profit theater companies, but this is a commercial production. It is a play written by Levi Holloway and it is directed by Joe Mantello and choreographed by Camille a Brown, which anytime you have a play that has choreography, uh, that's interesting, especially with you know Camellia Brown doing it. Um and there's there's an a cappella arranger, uh Aura uh Matias, who is also a well-known music supervisor. So I don't know how a cappella music plays into this, but I am thoroughly and completely fascinated by it. Um then you start to talk about this cast: Lori Metcalf, Sophia Ann Caruso, Tatiana Messlani, Melissa St. Simmons, Paul Sparks, Sidney Coyne, um, and some other folks making their Broadway debuts just absolutely fascinated by having a horror play on broadway grace i'm not normally a horror person but i enjoy plays that try to break the mold of what we normally think of as theater in general but especially broadway theater so then you throw in this cast and of course i'm going to be there but like i'm fascinated by what they could possibly do with this one
1: me too and you just stressed me the hell out with this week i forgot <laughs> all the things that i was personally doing um for some of these shows. And I'm exhausted. So thank you for that. And um, I'm thrilled. I'm excited about and excited and scared.
0: Well done. Well done. I've got my tickets to see. uh, I'm actually going to be seeing the Into the Woods tour, I think, probably three times when it's here in Orlando. And I'm seeing regional performances of Into the Woods twice before then. So lots of excited and scared going on in my life coming up. Also coming up in my life, I have my New York trip, which I talked about. One of the things that I'm going to be seeing, I've already got my ticket, is to see Brandon Jacob Jenkins' new play, Comeuppance, at Signature Theater. Uh, it is a world premiere directed by Eric Ting. They announced the cast uh, last week. It will include Brittany Bradford, Caleb Everhart, Susanna Flood, who is always great, Bobby Moreno. And I. Th- correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Shannon Tio is in every off-Broadway play over the past calendar year. Am I wrong?
1: She's incredible. She's incredible. I, I'm obsessed with her. I think she's an incredible performer. And um, I don't think that you're wrong. I think that Shannon is in everything, and I'm fine with it.
0: Yeah, and that's the way it should be. Um, The Comeuppance is being presented from May 16th through June 25th. I will be there. Get your tickets as well. I also wanted to point out, this is an article from uh, Time Out New York, and they have a like a list of just an absolutely like I mean frankly absurd number of performances that are going to be happening for free in Times Square over the summer there are 80 plus public performances um happening starting in May running all the way uh, into September um live music DJs um dance things from like you know the the Alvin ailey Extension program jazz musical theater stuff so um if you want to check that out if you're going to be in in Times Square over the summer and you don't mind the crowds and the sweating, certainly recommend checking out that list and seeing if you want to check any of those shows out. Also, we're running, uh, you know, a little bit long, so I won't spend a whole lot of time on this. We have talked multiple times on this show about all of the uh, drag show ban bills that are going on around the country. Uh, Last week on Friday, I believe, Actors' Equity Association filed an amicus brief in Tennessee opposing that state's new law, which is the first one that actually has been passed that is intended to limit or ban drag shows. Uh, In the brief, equity argues that the Tennessee law is unconstitutionally overbroad and vague and covers a wide range of live theatrical performances in which equity members perform and will deter the expression of protected speech in Tennessee. So we've discussed a lot of actors equity things recently, Grace, when it comes with like contracts and tours and LORT stuff and all of that, um, which is all very, very important uh, to, to members and all of those things. Uh, but this one has a little bit of a broader reach towards what actually is happening on stages that people get to see. So I'm glad that Actors Equity is being able to balance both of their, you know, their contractual requirements as a, as a union, but also advocating for live theater in general. And let's wrap up the show today with uh, a couple feel good recommendations. The first one uh, I will mention uh, Playbill has an exclusive performance or not exclusive performance, an exclusive video of Ali Mozzie doing the song Father Time from Kimberly Akimbo. They're starting to ramp up their Tony campaign. It looks like Grace, they've kind of been laying low. Great uh, grosses have been middling at best, but this is one we expect to have a lot of Tony nominations coming out on May 2nd. So it seems like they are starting to do the thing to get their show back in front of people's eyes, having opened back in the fall. So check that out. And then one grace that I am, uh, Pretty sure that if you have not seen it, you will be watching it as soon as humanly possible. But there is an exclusive sneak peek from Broadway World on the upcoming filmed capture of Spirited Away live on stage that is coming to U.S. Oh, cinemas yeah. In the coming. Yeah. I've got
1: tickets um, for Thursday. I've seen it. Um, Thrilled. Everyone should watch this.
0: Yes, absolutely. So you can see exactly what that's like. Uh, before you have a chance to see it in in theaters that we've talked about before, uh, Fathom Events extended. They're doing multiple days now. It's originally going to be two days because there are two lead actors alternating the role. So you could have seen both of them. They've now added second days for both people. So there's a total of four days that you can see Spirited Away on the big screen. All right, that is all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt Grace. Where can people find you?
1: You can find me on all forms of social media, and perhaps passed out um, in the yeah. streets of New York City at it's Grace Aki.
0: Yeah, I I don't envy your your schedule for the next few days. Uh, as exciting and fun as I'm sure it will be, and adrenaline uh, inducing. I'm just tired thinking about your schedule. So Godspeed. I hope you drink a lot of coffee and bubble tea or whatever it is that keeps you up uh, because I'm sure you're going to need it. All right, everybody, have a wonderful Monday, a wonderful week, and we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow.